0: Episode seventy-eight of the Scum and Villainy podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast, we break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I am your host Garrett McDowell, and in my co-pilot seat, it's Noah George. Hey, you know what they say about the number seventy-eight? It's I don't I, I'm at a loss. What do you got?
1: Um, seven, eight, nine is the punch <laughs> the punchline of that <laughs> one. <laughs>
0: classic that's why one i want,
1: more than 77 that's what it is that's yeah, why that's we bring you
0: on this show noah you know to For deliver that great content like that so we're keeping you around we're you know I, uh, well yeah. you know what you I'll earn stay. your keep <laughs> yeah you earn your keep around here uh with hard-hitting jokes like that so i really appreciate I it uh noah we've got a pretty big episode today not only are we going to be talking about and or episode 10 one way out but we've also got some star wars news some pretty big star wars news and in fact, so I'm really excited. Let's go ahead and dive on in. Uh, first off, the big news of the week. Uh, we have a casting list and official filming date uh, for the upcoming Disney Plus original Star Wars series, The Acolyte. Um, The show is now filming in the United Kingdom, um, as well as the main ensemble cast being announced uh, with this behind the scenes photo uh, featuring showrunner and director Leslie Hedlund. um, Along the lead of the series, uh, Amanda Stenfried uh, and Lee Jung-jae are also in the photo, too. Um, And there was a casting list of the rest of the group that will be joining us on this series, including, uh, but not limited to, one Miss Carrie Ann Moss uh, from The Matrix fame, as well as other uh, excellent things. Uh, We also have some other very exciting uh, and familiar faces on this list as well. Uh, I know that you and I have been looking forward very much so to this series, which is being described um, as uh, the following. Uh, The Acolyte is a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. A former Padawan reunites with her Jedi master to investigate a series of crimes, but the forces they confront are more sinister than they ever anticipated. Uh, Noah, with that synopsis and this cast and this behind the scenes photo in mind, where is your head at? What's your reaction?
1: I think this is gearing up to be just like the, the heavy hitters, uh, era of some star Wars stuff. I know that we're, you know, we're knee deep in, in Andor right now. And by all accounts, this is, you know, the best star Wars Disney plus thing, honestly. Um, not only in my opinion, maybe yours as well, but, uh, in, in terms of elsewhere on the internet from other people that that we've talked to and uh people that you and I uh know their opinions of mm-hmm. it's just great. So we're knee deep in, you know, in what is the best of Star Wars on Disney Plus. Um however, I don't love to like I'm I'm not one to just be like great, give me the next thing. I'm I'm ready. I'm 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 here for it. Mm-hmm. But uh when I heard this news or rather read this news nobody had to read it to me um when i read this news yeah i was like oh my god i'm ready for it give me the next (laughs) thing come on (laughs) and i i like hated myself for it because i'm like no i'm like i'm so committed to andor i'm like i'm waiting on bated breath for every single episode i'm you know everyone that i see on the street when i when i walk down the street i'm like have you seen andor do you watch andor and they say no what's what are you what are you talking about um but with you know with this news especially castless production being kind of that inaugural thing that we get as star wars fans of like hey this is for real and now you know uh because you know i guess thanks to Some of the more cager creative uh, choices, we don't always get news up to that point or we don't get things confirmed up to that point or things can shift around up to that point. So this would be like the inaugural, hey, guys, this is for sure happening and don't even worry about it. And uh, so that's great. Just knowing that we are Mm -hmm. entering the era of prepare for the, the acolyte. Obviously we've got other stuff coming before that, which is going to be no doubt exciting, but, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm ready for it. I, especially after seeing what Andor can do with a different perspective of Star Wars. Um, I was thinking about that earlier and I'm sure we'll get into it. Some of the, uh, the realizations of like, wow, this is, this is Star Wars question mark. Yeah. Uh, that realization, um, at least panning out uh, well for Star Wars and for Disney. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Yeah, this is something that I can put my faith in and say, great, I'm glad that Lucasfilm has faith in this, Disney Plus has faith, or Disney at least has faith in this, Um, and taking a step in another different direction is just going to be so exciting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, There was some things that I had seen uh, recently uh, that I was already very, very excited for this series, but in uh, seeing other things that these people have been involved in recently, got me even more excited. For one, I finally watched the first season of Russian Doll. I still need to watch the second one, but I really liked the first season. I thought it was really great, which of course, uh, you know, director and showrunner for this series, Leslie Hedlund, uh, that was also her thing too. Um, in addition to that, um, I got a chance to watch the uh, docu-series Queer for Fear, which is a Shudder original um, docu-series about the history of queer representation in horror. Uh, not only is it a really great docu-series, uh, but Leslie Headland is featured in it very heavily. Um, I had no idea that she was like a big horror lover, which was awesome to see. And then you get this cast listing, which is just awesome. Like there are some really heavy hitters um, on here, uh, not only in regards to, uh, you know, up and coming stars, but talent as well. Carrie Ann Moss, obviously a legend. I can't wait to see what kind of role she fills. Um, And a friend of the show, Alden Diaz, had jokingly said that like she could be playing anything and it's like, great, you know, like it's, uh, (laughs) is she like some night sister, Sith dark magic user? Great is she uh, you know uh, a a stormtrooper storm or a public <laughs> officer a jedi herself great you know it's like any uh, you know a scoundrel awesome you know anything that uh, you slot her into she's going to be absolutely terrific in um daphne keen uh, that news broke actually like 30 or so minutes after we stopped recording last week, which was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> but she was great as X-23 um, in Logan. Uh, Amandala Stenberg, uh, I really enjoyed in Bodies, 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 um, which a lot of people seem to really like her in or, or like them in. And then Lee Jung-jae, also from uh, Squid Game. Uh, and Manny Jacinto from uh, The Good Place was, like, awesome, whoa, whoa, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, some of these names that we uh, we knew had, you know, been cast in the series or at least rumored to be cast in this. Um, but from all accounts, you know, I read this synopsis and hearing that it's kind of maybe this, you know procedural mystery thriller featuring Jedi. It's it's in the craters and everything. It sounds awesome. Like, I know exactly what you're saying as far as, like, I'm fully enjoying Andor, and I, I think what we're getting is a step above uh in a lot of regards to just what we're seeing a lot with kind of like genre storytelling and it's not to say that it's better or greater than or whatever from um, other stuff that we've seen on disney plus but it's just so in its own league in a different way um that i just hope that we can continue that trajectory into the acolyte because i think with what we're getting is like it's not just great Star Wars, it's just great television. It's like great yeah. prestige television that even the the snooty, oh, that space opera fantasy stuff, that's not real entertainment, you know. I stuff like this and uh, you know, Andor as well, hopefully can continue to prove those naysayers wrong. So, I am nothing but excited for the series. Yeah, and uh especially post uh this
1: episode of Andor, um I'm, I'm on a little bit of a, uh, I wouldn't say a tirade. Um, but I'm, I'm fully into these metaphors that Andor is putting out and saying like, Hey man, you got to think about these things, pay attention to these things. Mm So, um, cast wise for the acolyte, um, in terms of the heavy hitter cast that we have been shown so far, Mm -hmm. um, one white man, one white man that right. is exactly how it should be at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, the rest... You know, we can we can confidently say that we as a fan base and Star Wars as a collective group (laughs) is moving in the right direction in terms of entertainment. Yeah. Um, the the fact is that, you know, there's no such thing, or there at least there shouldn't be any such thing as a flagship minority character, a flagship minority actor or actress. Uh the fact is that these are all like Like we said, these are all heavy hitters Mm -hmm. in their own right. They are established actors and actresses that have done well for themselves because they belong in this industry Mm -hmm. and have made a name for themselves. I just think it's absolutely enthralling. It's It's going to be so much fun.
0: Yeah, I'm very much so anticipating that. And like I mentioned, Leslie Hedlund, uh not only being a big genre fan, but obviously um, a queer creator in their own right, also having a non-binary queer black lead in this series. Um, I know it's going to rub some people the wrong way, but um, you know, I think with what we saw with Moses Ingram and Obi-Wan Kenobi and kind of the reaction and then the reaction to the reaction, um, I think that we'll Lucas... To
1: the backlash, as it were,
0: exactly. I think that's Bo. <laughs> the, I think the uh Lucasfilm reaction and then the fans' reaction in more of a positive regard um gives me more confidence that people are going to be not only supportive of this but also protective of these creators uh in the storytelling being told because you're exactly right. This is not some token, uh, you know, uh, r- 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 you know, a racial sort of quota meeting here. Um, We've talked about that before, that idea is just inherently racist, but the fact that these are all incredibly talented people, uh, people who are going to be very passionate about telling the story, and I'm also confident that with their ability, they're going to be able to crush it. So I can't wait. Uh, The Acolyte can't come soon enough. Uh, This is, since it was announced, was like the most intriguing Star Wars thing to me. Uh, As much as I'm loving Andor, uh, totally admittedly was not something that I was like really anticipating until we started to see more from the series to whereas this from like the log line i was like great (laughs) we we i remember talking about pretty early on finally (laughs) yeah leslie headland was like i'm actually a really big fan of menace fan and that's going to be like a big inspiration for the series and i was like sign me up awesome you know so uh the more and more that we hear about this series uh i just continue to get more excited uh if that's even possible i just i can't wait
1: Yeah, honestly, I as excited as I am for uh, for Ahsoka as well, um, I'd rather I'd rather see the Acolyte first. I just like I'm just so intrigued, not because I think Ahsoka is going to be bad. I think it's going to be awesome. I think Mm -hmm. it's going to answer so many questions. But like, boy, just the idea of somebody taking a crack at Star Wars in a new way is so exciting now.
0: Yeah, and I think it's great that we live in a time to where we get to have both. Uh, we get to have Ahsoka, mm. uh, and we also get to have the Akali and so Amen. much more. Uh, we are absolutely <laughs> spoiled with Star Wars content. And speaking of which, uh, you and I have talked often, uh, uh, for better or worse, about Star Wars returning to the big screen. Uh, we got some interesting developments uh, and some, uh, whatever the opposite of the regressions, I guess, the opposite of developments would be um, uh, in regards to Star Wars returning in uh, on the big silver screen uh, because director Sean Levy uh, is in talks to work on a Star Wars film after he completes his work on the final season of Stranger Things uh, as well as Deadpool 3. This was reported from Deadline. And then Sean Levy himself confirmed the reports were true uh, via his Twitter account. So this was not a Disney released sort of thing. Uh, I don't even know if Sean Levy was supposed to confirm this. <laughs> and I he wonder, now he's found dead in a ditch. Oh, no, Sean Levy <laughs> found dead in a ditch, not directing we'll the upcoming see Star Free Wars Guy project. <laughs> um, oh, man. Uh, uh, what a tragedy. Don't even play about that, Noah. Um, but in regards to that, too, uh, sort of tangentially Connected, There was this sort of musical chairs game of sorts kind of being played this week um, because J.D. Dillard, uh, who was confirmed to be working on a Star Wars project back in like January of this year, um, he is now reportedly no longer making his Star Wars movie for undisclosed reasons. Um, he talked about this uh, in an in interview and didn't really say why. Yeah, he just said that it's not really happening anymore, not for a lack of trying. So Sean Levy, G- J.D. Dillard are in this sort of, uh, what's the game at the fair to where they have like the coconuts? <laughs> uh,
1: uh, it's a Monty, a Monty. Is
0: that what it's called? I
1: had no idea. Yeah. Like a you could do like a two card Monty, a three card Monty.
0: Oh, is that where that comes from? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. We're having a Monty sort of situation here on wh- who is the director of the next Star Wars movie? <laughs> Will it be Taika Waititi, Sean Levy, Patty Jenkins, Ryan Johnson? Who really knows? I think the important... J.J. Abrams. Eh, that's oh who. I think the important kind of, the way that we approach a lot of these sort of things is when when this idea of a filmmaker is you know delivered to us, it's not necessarily, this movie's gonna happen. Get excited, get prepared. I think it's more of just kind of like, what do you think about this film filmmaker? Do you want to see their take on star Wars? Uh, and then we can also talk about JD Dillard. Uh, Cause that was something that I wasn't even fully aware of was happening because yeah. we didn't, we weren't um, recording this show at that time. So maybe that was something that kind of slipped through the cracks for me. Uh, but let's start off with Sean Levy uh, and him being, yeah, you know, in, in talks, <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. But what do you think of Sean Levy uh, directing a star Wars film? So his, uh, we, we often talk about like, okay, what do we look for in a,
1: in a, in a filmmaker's repertoire that, you know, that sort of lends to, to star Wars? Um, there was a lightsaber in free guy. I haven't seen it, but I know that. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh. There's that. Um, but for those of you unfamiliar with Sean Levy, he also directed uh, Night at the Museum, 1, 2, and 3, as well as The Atom Project and Real
0: Steel uh, and Cheaper by the Dozen. Uh, so, um, And Date Night and The I... Pink Panther and Big Fat Liar. He directed Big Fat Liar. I'm going to throw everything out of the window that I was about to say about this man because he directed the <laughs> Big Fat Liar. Are you kidding me? With uh, with Cody Banks, with Cody Banks and Paul Giamatti and Amanda Bynes, I had no idea. <laughs> That's what awesome. A, what a
1: wild repertoire. Um, I will say. So I've not seen Free Guy. I've not seen uh, The Atom Project either, which is one of his. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned that, but um, and then Deadpool three coming out. Yeah. Um, is something that to me, I don't think that it screams. You know two-dimensional. I don't think so. I think that maybe people would be quick to say that it does. Um, But I'd have to, I'd have to see those things. All I can say is that the guy has a knack for visuals. Um, There's something to be said there maybe. Um, But uh, I mean, eat your heart out, I guess. I don't, I don't really know. This is weird news to me that I feel like that I feel like at least we need, we need a little bit more information well, on something like
0: this. I can provide more information because I okay. have seen free guy and I also have seen the Adam project. Um, and obviously don't know, uh, Mr. Levy personally, uh, probably by all accounts, uh, a lovely person. Um, but his work for me at minimum generously is pretty indistinguished like he is not really a filmmaker to me that has any sort of noticeable directoral flair or traits to it that make me go i want to see their take on star wars for me he's a pretty hit and miss director who started in comedy went to action real steel yeah (laughs) i like real Real steel Steel. i mean i liked it in 2011 which was the last time that i saw that movie um i i don't know if it holds up or not um night at the museum uh i know the first one people like i also liked it when i was a kid haven't seen the other ones that he's been behind um but based on his more recent fare i think free guy and the atom project in particular are probably more tonally just kind of similar to what we could expect with with his approach to star wars the atom project especially is a sci-fi action adventure movie with spaceships and time travel and uh the kid literally has a weapon in it that is like a laser sword. <laughs> it's like the 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 Dollar Tree version of a lightsaber. I saw so, that in the
1: trailer, so yeah.
0: Yeah. So if anything, maybe his uh sort of uh his audition to direct a Star Wars movie. Um but the Atom Project is just one of those movies that was just like That was a movie, you know, like it was just so (laughs) indistinguishable and just so generic, like not even in a way to like, you know, say it's bad or good or whatever. It was just like, yeah, it was a Netflix original movie with Adam, with uh, Ryan Reynolds, who I'm not like overly fond of. Um, He's going to be directing the new Deadpool movie. And I'm just kind of like. All right, Hugh Jackman's back, okay, whatever. You know, like that the whole Marvel side of things is I guess a different conversation. Um but his approach to Star Wars is just not something as opposed to what we just talked about with Leslie Headland that their work has made me go I would be very interested to see their approach to Star Wars. For him, I'm kind of like, I feel like I've seen like a generic version of your approach to Star Wars and I was really not impressed with it. Um, But who knows? Whatever he makes could be awesome. For me, he just kind of sounds like one of those filmmakers that unfortunately we've seen in a lot of Marvel movies to where it's just kind of like they are sort of you know, hired to do this thing, they make the thing. Might throw some of their own sort of directorial flair. There's definitely been exceptions to that. James Gunn, Taika Waititi, for example, but. For a lot of it, it's just kind of like you know, ant man and the Wasp is n- no that you know is not really distinguishable from Captain Marvel, for example. Mm-hmm. they just feel stylistically kind of like the same thing um and Sean levy feels like he would fit into that tour he's just kind of maybe um a hired gun in a sense um so I could be wrong. it could be amazing. Uh, I'm just not overly anticipatory of the, of this project, but you know uh, that's just yeah. me
1: I, I I think you you bring up a good point with kind of the genericness of what of what we can expect um there is something about star wars where i think that it needs to be taken into account that if we're getting star wars back in theaters then we have a whole new cast to care about. Um, And if you can tell me that in any of his films that by the end of it, you have deeply cared um, for any of the characters, obviously there's writing that goes into that. There's performances that go into that, but you know, if you can craft something that says visually and, and wholly I care about things at the end of it, um, we have to learn to care about some of these characters once we get star Wars back. And if we're getting something that's generic, then, you know, I mean, where does that leave us? So,
0: yeah, I mean, I know it's like a Netflix project, which, you know, a lot of their stuff is just generic kind of whatever things like, I really liked the Winter Soldier and I really liked Endgame. And if the Russo brothers were announced to be making a Star Wars movie, I might be a little interested in that like that. I'd be curious to see what that was like. Uh, But then they also made the Gray Man on Netflix, which was not anything, you know. Um, So who knows? Maybe it was just sort of the Netflix filter that kind of filtered out all the all the fun stuff. Who knows? But even so, I think a lot of his other works just hasn't been super exciting to me. So we'll see. Um, I think as, as far as the J.D. Dillard of it all, um, this wasn't news that I was, um, really aware of. Um, I, uh, you know, that's a bummer that it didn't work out. Uh, I don't remember if this was something that was like officially announced by Disney or a deadline thing. Um, I know slight was something that a lot of people really enjoyed. Um, I haven't had a chance to see that or, uh, sweetheart. Um, I'd be curious to watch both of those. Um, but, his approach to Star Wars based on those two films sounds a little bit more interesting to me than Sean Levy. Not that it's a competition or anything. Uh, but yeah, it's just kind of the, I guess, that the trend that we're seeing a lot with, with Star Wars and Lucasfilm that... You know, which I don't know, I I guess we can open up to that conversation. Do you like these filmmakers being brought in to develop these projects? And then once they get to a point, they're kind of just like, you know what, we're not really interested anymore. Let's kind of move on to the next thing. Or do you prefer maybe a little bit more of that in the planning stage of things you and I obviously aren't, you know, Hollywood insiders or anything. So the knowledge of how a lot of this kind of stuff goes down is, is a little over our heads. Um, but kind of what's your reaction to hearing some of these, you know, this person's brought in, just kidding. They're out. Okay. And now we got this next guy. So what, what are you kind of thinking about that?
1: Well, I remember, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of what movie it was. You and I had a spell of going to see movies together. Mm -hmm. Um, and, It might have been the Predator... Uh, remake, oh God, the sh- uh, the Shane Black. One? Shane Black, yeah. You don't even talk
0: about that. Was
1: horrible. Uh, that was like a
0: jump scare. No, <laughs> take it easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I actually, side side note, I wrote about how ho- horrible that movie was uh, in a class that I took um, for like neurodivergency and like autism awareness. Oh God! And I wrote about I wrote about that movie specifically and was like, check out this shit. Uh, Hilarious. You need, to, you need to be aware of how some people perceive uh that sort of thing anyways it, it might have been that movie that like we were like who whose fault is this how did this happen yeah and it has like seven writing credits yeah okay and even more recently in something like Scar- star wars the rise of skywalker movie has like five or six writing credits mm-hmm. i think um you get this sense that something has been shambled together by all of these ideas um, or, you know, you take something like solo, for example, that had to be completely reworked from the ground up and what ended up, you know, being the final product is something that is just all right. You yeah. know, there's nothing inherently bad about it, but you can kind of tell that it was like, okay, we don't want it to be in this direction. How do we not go in this direction? What do we do? Even if we have somebody, you know, as esteemed now, uh, as, Phil Lord and Chris Miller working on this project and that's not what we end up getting there's going to be production issues that's just how it's going to go Um, but I do think that there is there is at least some portion of this where we you know we have to assume that Sean Levy being the guy that is helming this this Star Wars project whatever and will end up being um, has to have some final input but I'd be okay if we shifted things around and said, "Hey, uh, you know this this person's writing it." Let's just say Lawrence Kasdan is writing this Star Wars movie, and Sean Levy's directing it, and then a uh, a huge weight will be lifted off my shoulders. You know, it is one of those things that we that you know we have to pay attention to and give credit for because it's an amalgamation of all these different people's work. So, I would be interested in seeing what kind of uh, what kind of I guess, inspiration is taken here and from who. I don't know. I don't know. It's strange.
0: Yeah. I mean, so Sean Levy specifically is, he's going to be busy for a multiple number of years. Not only is he directing at least two episodes of Stranger Things 5, but he's also directing Deadpool 3, which as of the moment is scheduled for November of uh, 2024. Um, So it's, probably going to be a while before the cameras actually begin to roll on this thing. Anyway, lots of that could change. Obviously JT Dillard was working on a star Wars movie as of less than 10 months ago. And now he's not anymore. Um, <laughs> I think for me, I don't really care unless it's, it's D23. Kathleen Kennedy is up there in front of her projector and goes, okay, we're getting Lando and we're getting a droid story and we're getting this and we're getting that. And we're getting rogue squadron, get excited, you know? And then it's like, Oh great. We have all this stuff. Just kidding. Most of that stuff was in development. Like it's not been greenlit. It's not officially really happening. And we start rolling tomorrow. Like we are with, you know, the acolyte for me, when it's broke by deadline or the Hollywood reporter or whatever, I don't really care because of the, like the the wording of this article to me is pretty like, it's pretty clear that Sean Levy is in discussions to work on a star Wars movie. It's not get ready. You know, script has been written and we're, we're, we're doing principal photography in six months. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's still, this thing is develop in development. This is something that they're working on. This director's being eyed to work on this project. It didn't work out. So we're moving on to something else for me. Like we've talked about before, I'm in no rush to see Star Wars return to the big screen. I'm excited for it to return to the big screen. I'm going to be there day one, obviously, with my big bucket of popcorn. And I'm going to be thrilled to see Star Wars return to movie theaters. But we're getting so much great stuff on Disney Plus that I don't feel like there's this you know, sort of dry spell happening here to where I'm just like not, you know, I'm, I'm foaming at the mouth for more Star Wars stuff. I feel totally satiated by what we're getting on Disney Plus. And if it is going to be the grand return of Star Wars to the big screen, I want it to be just that. I want it to be grand. I want it to be a project that they're excited about, that they feel confident in, that they've taken their time with. And if, you know, that leads to a second movie or a third movie and so on, great. But for me, I don't really need to see the rush to just, like... You know push these projects through and just ram them through just so we can have star wars back again because to me star wars isn't you know falling out of the zeitgeist uh, this is still a very popular series um, by all accounts you know the series are doing well and or maybe less so than others but still like we're getting so much stuff that i don't really feel like there's this you know uh, uh, dry sort of like content uh, period right now we're getting so much that um i can wait i'm fine with waiting
1: Yeah. If we were getting any more, I think I'd be a little bit worried. Um, I was, I was having a conversation with somebody about, uh, how I think it was like a couple weeks ago we were talking about Marvel and I was like, Oh, I'm going to buy my tickets for black Panther Mm two And got in this extended discussion about Marvel. And I was, I was like, Oh, Rachel, uh, you, you like loved Mm Shang-Chi. And, um, and she was like, which, which one was that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you yeah. know where it was like when we I remember when we left that movie she was like oh my gosh five stars like five stars easy I just I loved it love yeah. being back in the theaters it's so much fun I'm doing like it's I'm I'm, I'm on the Shang-Chi train <laughs> and she couldn't remember the name of the movie two weeks ago and it was like sure yeah it's
0: just you know there's, if, there's, if we, it's a lot there's a lot of stuff coming out for sure right
1: if we were getting any more Star Wars, I'd be a little bit worried. I think we're at you know we're at a good place right now um and once once Baby Yoda comes back around come February maybe ish yeah, um then everybody will be back on the star wars train and and all will be right with the world,
0: yeah uh you know and not just Star Wars but in the genre you know, in, in the genre genre, uh, we're getting, <laughs> we're getting so many things. It's hard to keep track of stuff. And, uh, while star Wars continues to, to pump out content on Disney plus video games, books, comics, all that kind of stuff. Um, you and I w- were excited. Star Wars is going to be back on the big screen, uh, before the sun engulfs the earth one way or another. Uh, and when it does, I'll be excited to be there. Um, but until and then we'll be
1: here talking about
0: it. You we'll know? be here talking about it. Uh, right when the sun just en- engulfs my entire apartment. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want to be doing. (laughs) Live on the air. Um, But until then, we're getting so much great stuff on Star Wars, Disney Plus, original series included, including Andor. Uh, You and I are going to be talking about episode 10 of Andor, One Way Out. Um, you and I have been very, very hot on this newest arc of the series, sort of the prison arc of Andor. Um, uh, we kind of had our, th- our our theories and our thoughts about where episode 10 would be going. We've only got two more episodes in this series after this one. So what was your big picture reaction to One Way Out? Uh, big picture reaction. Um, I'm just so
1: like, I'm so sad. I'm so sad that this is like, we're... We're in the last like little phase of this. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that it's like we've been spoiled with a twelve episode series. And I this is like one of those things where I I don't need to remind myself that I need to watch Andor in a couple of days or something like that. Yeah. Um, it is the first thing on my mind when I wake up and the last thing I think about when I go to sleep. Um, which may be a bit of an exaggeration, but um, Think this episode in particular is one where you know I've talked about it before. Where I've just I've been trying to to talk to people that I know that you know I'm and and saying like you really got to check out Andor. I know you didn't love this last thing. I know you didn't have faith in this last thing. You really got to check this out. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to talk about that with people, um, but this episode in particular is one where I I actually like. So my my brother tried to call me when I was watching Andor. Um <laughs> uh, and my I, I did like the you know the decline but with a message thing. Uh and it just says can't talk watching Andor. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, okay, call me when it's done. So I was like, all right, it must be, you know, somewhat important. Uh flash. It wasn't that important. Um, but he was like I called him and he was like hey what's up and I was like I was like what did you need and he was like uh how is how is andor and I was like oh dude it was so good it was oh, it was this and this and I like went on like a went on like a 5 minute long <laughs> tirade about how he needs to start watching it yeah. um but it was just the thing that it's like I'm not the one to usually be like you're not watching this right now oh how could you not be watching this and I hate when people do that because we were just you know we just came out of like stranger things Season four it was like everybody is like oh my god are you watching are you watching yeah. Stranger Things are you yeah. watching it oh my god you gotta you gotta watch it yeah and like people at my job like binged
0: it over an entire weekend I and could. I was like that show like, that show took me like two months to watch and it's yeah. not because I didn't like it each episode is like an hour and a half each episode was yeah. like a movie and it was like 11 fucking movies. So imagine just being like, you haven't watched the entire Lord of the Rings with the Hobbit included in, in one <laughs> weekend. Are you kidding me? So like that coming off of stuff
1: like that, where it's like, you haven't seen this, you haven't seen this. And again, I'll bring up Marvel. Like I've taken my sweet time to get around to Marvel shows where I'm just like, I'll watch it. At my own pace, I'll watch it when it's all out. I'll enjoy it how I want to enjoy it. And that'll be that. Stop bothering me. But with something like this, where I've never wanted to shove something down someone's throat and say, this is something you have to watch. But with this, especially this episode. You're like elbow deep into the throat. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, you gotta you got to watch this. You need to like it. And, uh, I also saw my dad today and I was like, oh, I, I can't hang out for long. I got to go home and watch and watch Andor. And he was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not caught up yet. And I was like, oh, I want to like put, come you know, on, I want to put your face through the pavement right now, man. He's like, he's, my <laughs> dad is, my... <laughs> <laughs> he's in recovery yeah. right now <laughs> and he's watching Andor in the hospital. Bed. That's right. Um, my dad is like my other guy besides you that I, that I'm able to talk about star Wars with. And I was like, gotta catch up, man. But I know that he likes it. It's just, and I'll say it again. We'll get to it. Yeah. But a lot of things in this episode, um, were, were things that like brought a physical reaction out of me to be like, I gotta tell somebody about this. This is amazing. This is revolutionary. Mm -hmm. So, uh,
0: Those are my general thoughts. Yeah. Sure. Well, I think it's worth bringing up because I was going to put it in the news today, but to be honest, like the report was kind of unclear and it had already been amended earlier. This was something that was reported on in October. So just generally speaking, this show from numerous conflicting reports, apparently is maybe not doing as well as other Star Wars shows on Disney plus to which I say, yeah, you know, like that makes sense to me. You mean this show that's like aimed towards a much more mature audience that maybe isn't this more like family-friendly kind of Star Wars story here as opposed to something like The Mandalorian which is much more of an action-focused cute baby Yoda, you know, that you can go buy on, you know, Christmas cookie cutter. You see, you know, like he, it's everywhere. It's 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 a, it's a phenomenon, it's a global phenomenon. Whereas this show is a much more grounded realistic episode that one of which is like mostly just walking around this field planet, you know, talking about this heist that they're going to pull to which It's like, yeah, it makes sense to me. You know, like that's not terribly surprising. I don't think that some, you know, indie movie, the triangle of sadness, I'm not super surprised that that's not going to make as much money as black Panther, you know? Um, to, to just say that this show to me seemed like it was limited to, or maybe not limited, but geared toward maybe a m- more mature audience. Somebody who has been kind of craving more mature star Wars storytelling. And I don't just mean Darth Vader skewering people with a lightsaber. I mean, mature ideas and mature themes and tones and, and you know, the exploration of a lot of that and pacing as well. So to me, not really news that this show is maybe not doing as well as an Obi-Wan Kenobi or something like that. You mean the TV series to one of the most popular star Wars characters ever. And then the spinoff series of the second lead of a spinoff star Wars movie maybe isn't doing as well. Huh, I wonder why um, <laughs> all that to say though, I also don't really care because this is awesome. Like this episode and the past several episodes are like premier, just like fine Star Wars, you know, like Mm. it is just really getting to the core, uh, especially these more recent episodes, really getting to the core of what I think that this series is, what it was kind of promised to be. Um, and it's just really delivering on just a, a level of Star Wars that just feels so new, so fresh, but also like we've said in weeks prior has that DNA, Uh, in the thematic DNA that you can find throughout a lot of Star Wars. It's just approach to a lot of these ideas just feels so fresh and new. And it just like you had said and like you had mentioned this episode like elicited like a physical reaction from me I was like anxious watching this series of someone that focuses on a character that I know what happens to them you know but (laughs) this journey uh, of what happens with these characters in this moment and what their decisions mean for them as a character right now I found to just be so affecting and I would just point to this in the you know of a lot of Star Wars fans of like this is what Star Wars is capable of yes we love the lightsaber battles and the, the, you know, the force battles and the spaceship dogfights and all that great stuff. But to me, the battle for these people's souls, uh, and, and their exploration of what they're experiencing in this show. And then, you know, seasons to come potentially to me is just like, it's, uh, it's, it's so rewarding and has just completely surpassed my expectations. When the show was announced originally, I was just kind of like, all right, and or cool. I thought Rogue One was fine, but I guess. And then the more and more we started to hear about this, the more I felt like this show could really shape out to be something. Uh, and this episode is like just straight up one of the best Disney Plus things that we've gotten. Probably, I would honestly say, maybe my favorite Disney Plus episode, you know, like period. Like this is just, it's it's phenomenal storytelling. I'm just, I'm so, so impressed with the writing team, the direction of this episode, the score, even like the score of this episode was awesome. Like I was going to bring it up. Totally. And I was going to, I was going to bring it up. You can, you can bring it up right now. Like just everything just firing on all cylinders for me. It was just like, yes, yes.
1: (laughs) That's, that's one of those things where when we like started talking about Andor and we were like, whoa, like this is like, this is like rivaling cinematic star Wars easily, easily. Um, And, and I've been, I've been thinking a lot more about sort of the, what makes that, what gives it that feeling? Like, why, why is that? Um, the score for me, Nicholas Patel, number one, like this is one of those things where there is detail and attention. And I know that like, when we get a star Wars show, we end up getting like some featurettes here and there. Um, of things posted by the official Star Wars cha- channels, like yeah. YouTube and TikTok and whatever. Same with Disney Plus. Right. Um, and there was recent recently uh, one that I passed by that uh, that had Nicholas Brutel talking about some of the score stuff of Andor, and I was just like, God, this guy's a genius. This guy yeah. is an absolute mastermind. Um, so that for me, especially in this episode, uh, there are some hits where it's like dead quiet tense close up no talking and then immediately just this rising swell yeah. of of action and it's that stuff comes together like yeah. really well for me i hate to bring it to a sour note um but some of the score in tales of the jedi was something that like flip-flopping from andor to tales of the jedi i was like that's good but it also was a little bit weird how that just kind of happened um Again, love, love the score. Kevin Kiner, like hugely important to Star Wars, especially Star Wars animation. Yeah. Um, But doing something with the physicality of a performer like Andy Serkis or Diego Luna Mm -hmm. and being able to compose this entire scene that works together with the score is, I mean, it's just... Is prime. It is yeah. prime. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's just so good. Um, I think obviously you and I, uh, as far as our our rating of this episode, I'm a big old double thumbs up and em- emphatic thumbs up. I assume that you're also the same. My thumbs are broken. That's how hard. Uh, I <laughs> you shot them, them up too up. quickly and they just like went backwards.
1: <laughs> Have you ever done that where you like you tell somebody in high school to like put their thumb uh, in in their hand, like close a fist, and then you tell them to like whack their.
0: Have you done that? To tell somebody to break their thumb? No, no, yeah, I haven't don't done do that. It. Yeah, don't I'm not going to do no. it. What do you well, mean? No, I, can I had, Do it live on like, air right now. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll do anything for pe- content.
1: <laughs> I had people in high school that were like, oh, make a fist with your thumb on the inside and then like overextend your wrist <laughs> yeah. and you'll snap your thumb. Oh like, yeah, like, I've heard about that. Yeah, I think you need yeah. to find better
0: friends. Oh, yeah. No,
1: I did. I did. That's why we're doing this show together. You're
0: right. You're right. The guy (laughs) makes a point. Um, Let's go ahead and dive on into the episode, uh, episode 10, One Way Out. Um, I didn't put anything in the notes, but I I think it's worth mentioning or worth bringing up. You and I, uh, not every week, some weeks, though, uh, we talk about the title of the episode, maybe double meanings. Uh, We found a lot in that this series, there is an obvious obvious application to the title. Yeah. The character says this thing, but it also could mean these other things too. the title one way out. Are there any sort of double meanings that you see here? Or was it just like, yeah, that's what the prisoners yell when they're escaping. Um, I think that there's clearly
1: some, you know, and or is as, as a show is not shy about, um, making these sort of scene changes, the a, B or C plot lines sort of match with each other. Um, and what we get is, uh, you know, we get with Andor's story, the the one way out of sort of the hope, the freedom, that sort of thing. Um, and on the other side of things with a character like Mon Mothma or like with Luthan mm-hmm. uh, and what he ends up, the conversation that he ends up having with another character um, is showing this one way out as more saying there isn't really any other option for you. There is no alternative. There is no escape. And it's a little bit more uh, on on the negative connotation, which I think is really interesting because we're seeing, we're kind of supposed to be seeing the the gearing up of the birth of the rebellion. Um, and what we're instead seeing is all of these characters forced to do things and go places that they don't want to go, yeah. um, for the the service of this thing, which is, oh man, it's just calls into question everything that we know about, about how the rebellion happens about some of these characters and, and saying like, yeah, I mean, everybody's got to make tough choices. You know, whose, whose side are you on? And are you okay with the tough choices they're going to make? It's, it's really kind of upsetting in a way, but like devilishly upsetting, you know, you love to see it, but you also hate it.
0: Yeah. I think the, the one way out title for me, um, obviously like we've mentioned is the rallying cry, uh, of the prisoners. It's, it's what they're yelling to kind of, uh, encourage other prisoners to follow in their footsteps, to, to escape with them, to kind of muster the courage to do this with them. But I think it's also like you had mentioned, like, you have a galaxy-wide group of people who have been forced into submission by the Empire. And in that, their options now are limited that they have not been given a chance to really do anything else. But beyond just survive, they have to fight back because like we see in this episode, it's going to get to the point to where this rebellion that you're you know, uh, that you maybe think is, uh, uh, maybe above you or, uh, that you're not fully able to commit to yourself in one way or another, you're going to have to be forced to make this decision. Uh, to either fall in line or just kind of succumb to the tyranny of the empire, uh, or you can choose to fight back against it because whether you like it or not, it is going to come for you. Like you don't really have a choice in that. Um, even if you're just walking on a beach, just minding your own business, you can be put in jail. Forever, you know, like uh, I think that that's something that the show has has demonstrated really well. And I think the one way out, the emphasis on the one, is sort of this conversation that Luthen, in particular, is maybe emphasizing and having a, a, almost a thematic conversation with people like Mon Mothma too. There's two scenes in this series, in this episode, that I think really encapsulate like sort of like the thesis of the series that. These characters in their limited sort of options are now having to choose between sacrificing things about themselves, their own morals, their own values in order to achieve this success or to achieve this mandate that they've promised to themselves as well as to others about this rebellion and are you going to sacrifice some of these things that you otherwise wouldn't in order to achieve that success or are you going to try to find a different way out um so yeah i think that this this title uh does have uh you know definitely shades of some double meaning that i'm uh, really excited to be talking about i think that there's so much stuff that this episode maybe like Plot-wise, isn't the most complicated thing. Like, it's pretty simple as far as, like, the, the basic plot of this. But I think that there's a lot of really interesting um, thematic moments in this that I'm excited to talk about. So um, the episode begins with uh, our uh, dearly beloved Ulof, um, who is being carried away uh, out of the facility while Cassian confronts Kino, um, urging him that they need to act now. Um, they being the prisoners on this facility... McCassian um, argues that the the Imperials are outnumbered um, and believes that they are frightened. And the longer they wait, the more guards will come. Um, and at this point, Kino believes that their demonstration of power. Uh, in the killing and the, you know, the, the massacre of those men on the second floor is just that it's just a demonstration of power that it's not like a fearful reaction. Um, Cassian of course fights him on this, but I wanted to ask, do you think that Kino actually believes this? Like, do you think in this moment that he actually thinks that the empire is just flexing their muscles because they can?
1: I honestly no I I don't think that that's true. I think that this entire episode um we have seen we've seen Keno lose um his power over the course of last week's episode um and now leading into this and his primary reaction after he loses his sense of power is what it's fear. He's afraid like the entire episode um even when he's not he's still you know, not necessarily acting out of fear, um, but you can see the, you know, the difficulty that he has in reacting to these things and how he stays sort of composed, even though he's very afraid. And I totally, I totally agree with Cassie. I mean, this is something that we see when um when Tarkin is talking in, in episode four and says fear will keep them in line, you know, talking about th- they'll be afraid of us. Yeah. Th- that that's not real power then right that's yeah. them you know imposing it and and causing the the galaxy to be afraid and so is seeing this here where it's like well we know that cassian has thought about this and thought that well they don't they don't have like a ton of weapons they only have the zap rods and we can outsmart them here that strips away their power and will make them afraid um so i think that there's there's definitely something there but seeing especially Andy Serkis's performance here of just how scared Kino is of the empire and of the the situation that they're in is just, ah, I was floored. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And to me, I think that, yeah, Kino doesn't, doesn't believe that it's just like this, you know, powerful demonstration of, you know, the might of the empire. I think that he wants to believe that everything is going to be okay. That like, he wants to believe that he will get out of here eventually because taking that leap is scary. Like he, as well as others are risking their lives to get out of here. And I think that he gets to this point to where he is able to realize the The harsh reality of of what actually is, is is happening here um on this prison in this prison. And I think that there's this really great parallel that was hinted at last week uh, between Keno and Cassian, because I think, Cassian, you know, he he maybe did or previously wanted to rebel against the Empire because where we see him in the beginning of the series, he doesn't join the heist on, uh, he doesn't join this heist because of, you know, moral reasons. He joins it to get money. He's a mercenary on this mission. We see him and others talk about this, um, at length in, in prior episodes. But when we see some flashbacks that I'm sure will be explored more in the coming episodes, we see him attempt to lash out against these troopers. Yes, maybe it was for revenge, but I think it does show this inherent sense of rebellion. Uh, In fighting back against oppressors. We also see him destroying, you know, that facility when he was a child, not really understanding, but wanting to take his anger and frustration out against these people who are the cause of that. And I think that when we see him get to the point to where he's maybe just more complacent, maybe just more okay with just getting your, your credits and leaving, I think that it's a similar place to where we see Kino at when we first meet him. Because when when it, Cassian is was you know pleading with him to tell him how many guards there are when he af- when he finally says at the end of last week's episode there are no more than 12 to me that really communicated that he at one point cared to take note of that he at one point cared to count and see how many guards there were and maybe at one point he was like Cassian to where he was convinced that he needed to escape to to leave this place and i think that Because of Kino's bravery and finally deciding to rebel against this, I think that what we're going to see is that that is what is going to inspire Cassian going forward, not only in regards to this this rebel spirit, but also this idea of having people to look up to. Because I, I think that this episode also... Shows Cassian recognizing like the influence that Keno has over his men, um, not only in the prison cells, um, which uh, Keno tells the other prisoners the truth about this and really rallies them to join this cause, but also in the upcoming scene where he's giving his speech to the prisoners. I think he's not only going to be able to kind of rediscover this rebellious sense within uh, within himself, Cassian I'm referring to, but also this need for Figures of hope and people that you can point to and people that you can rally behind, which I think he eventually will with Mon Mothma, of course, as well as, as Leia in that regard. So, yeah, I I think it's great.
1: Yeah, there's there is something to be said, though, about I mean, I've been I've been going on about this for the last few episodes of, you know, where do we get this? this inkling from Cassian that, that there's something to fight for. Where do we get that, that turn towards the capital R rebellion? Yeah. Um, And I think that especially seeing this episode, knowing that that's not really how this goes is almost better because, you know, like you said, we know what happens to, we know what happens to Andor at the end of his, the end of his journey. Yeah. I'm not looking for this show anymore to be the reason why he says, all right, you know what? I'll be a for real good guy now. Yeah. This is something that uh, this show has taken that idea of, okay, what's your rebellion and shown that Cassian is willing to fight for not, not a cause, but he's willing to fight for a people that being people that are oppressed. And it's something that, that has risen in him through the course of this show, not to say that there's a reason that he is fighting for the rebellion, but more so that having experienced what, you know, what an oppressed person uh, is like in the empire, that there is, you know, a reason to fight against that. So it's, it's really, really interesting to have Kino be sort of the, the, uh, I guess the ringleader of this idea Mm -hmm. that can give him that inspiration when this is not at all like connected to the rebellion. It doesn't matter. That's like not yeah. important here. Um, But having someone to rally behind is the thing that, you know, that sort of mirrors that, you know, w- how much are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give? And how much are you willing to give that we yeah. hear echoed later? You well, know?
0: Well, I think, Building off of that, I think it's also this idea, as far as like this season specifically showing Cassian, I don't expect season, you know, episode 12 to be like, all right, welcome to the Rebel Alliance. And then, you know, fade to black. To me, I think Cassian being a part of these acts that inspire others will in turns inspire him because when we see on Aldani, he just did this thing for a job. But when he goes back to Marva, she's like, did you hear about what happened? You know, they, they fought back against the empire and they won. And so I think Cassian being a part of these, these events to where he is able to demonstrate to others that these guys that you thought were, you know, like this insurmountable threat I just made them bleed, you know, like I embarrassed them. I, and I, I did these things to show that they're not, you know, all powerful, indestructible forces that we can fight back against them, that it's not this hopeless lost cause that we just kind of have to, you know, take it on the cheek and then move on. Like we can fight back against this. And I think that him inspiring these other prisoners to, you know, take action and to literally climb out of this situation, um, I think really just points to what we see eventually happen in this. And there's some other things that happen in this episode that I, I think also point to that, but, uh, we'll get to them for sure.
1: Yeah. I, I do think you, you said something that made me think I was pulling up. Um, cause you said climb, um, is that's obviously a, like a constant theme here. Yeah. And, um, it's something that was echoed by, uh, by what's his name, Nemec. Yeah. Um. At the beginning of, or, uh, towards the middle of this this series. Yeah. Um. As well as I'm sure other fans have pointed out that that's what uh, K2SO says to Cassian uh, in Rogue One. Yeah. And now in this episode, uh, climbing again is sort of that motif. And like I, you know, we'll get into it. We'll get into it with some of the prison stuff. But I was just like. I I wrote in my notes, I was like, imagine this show, like stopping at the, uh, at the like prison metaphor of like how prisoners are treated and how, uh, how minorities are treated in, you know, in terms of imprisonment yeah. and sort of, you know, once you're, once you have your autonomy back, you have to climb back up to the top. Um, and Climbing over, you know, not, not necessarily climbing over each other, but climbing up to try to get past the oppressor Mm -hmm. is this constant theme here that is really, really hitting in a way that I, you know, didn't fully expect from this series, but we just kind of keep barreling, barreling through these, uh, through these real world motifs that I'm just like, man, you, you gotta like, you gotta understand that that this is an intentional thing, you know?
0: Yeah, and especially with, like, super recent world events and or, or, uh, you know, uh, events that have happened in our country. The election just happened. And so I think that this was an episode that I really needed as sort of this literal rallying cry. You know, I I found this inspiration in a moment uh, uh, coming up soon super inspirational, you know? Like, there is this real... And it's not just this real world application either. Like this does point to, like you had mentioned, like obviously that line of, of K2SO literally telling him to climb. And that's something that they tell the other prisoners here, but this also of like, well, the actual rebellion, like uppercase R rebellion in rogue one, didn't want to go to Scarif because they thought it was a lost cause. They thought they were all going to die and they thought it was like totally fruitless to go there. And then what do we see once that they actually get there, see that this mission is attainable, then others follow in their footsteps. So I felt like this is just like a smaller micro version of what we will eventually see obviously happen um, in, in Rogue one with Cassian. And there's a sacrifice that's made here early uh, later on that I, I think also points to that too. Um, because the, the prisoners uh, Cassian and Kino and everybody start to, fight back. Um, Cassian's able to file through a pipe, overloading the floor um, and disabling the empire's like primary weapon against them. They've got a couple blasters and some pokey sticks, but other than that, it's about it. Um, and then the prisoners, and I thought this was such a great moment. Use the very tools Of their oppression, meaning like these actual tools to to build whatever piece of equipment they're building, and they use that to fight against, which I just thought not only was like such a great visual metaphor, but also really reminded me of Leia, like in that. In Return of the Jedi, when Leia is imprisoned by Jabba in the gold bikini with the chains and everything, she uses those chains like a literal, you know, literal thing to bind her and imprison her, uses that very thing to choke out her oppressor and strangle them to death. Like I thought it was like like same thing different font you know uh, (laughs) of them using their wrenches and just lobbing them at the imperials and knocking them out uh such a great moment but i also wanted to take a time to pour one out for that poor new prisoner (laughs) he shows up there and immediately is like a prison break oh no and then dies (laughs) i was like oh poor guy (laughs) he did he he was was
1: he was shaking in his boots he was like Oh man, this is like the worst day of my life. Yeah. What am I doing here? Also the last day of her life, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> He's like, oh, I can't I can't wait to just get to my bunk and and yeah. and just uh stave off this anxiety. Oh my god. Oh no, I've been shot. <laughs> <laughs> I know he really takes one. I was yeah, I was surprised that I mean they're they're literally like fish in a barrel. Yeah, that the Imperial is just like up on this balcony, just you know picking them off
0: one by one yeah and like i i felt like we spent like just enough time to with 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 these other prisoners that like i might not be able to know their name but i remember like oh they had that one moment or you know they did that one thing for Olaf or something like that to when where they were killed i was like oh no that guy oh no that guy oh man yeah. you know like it 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 not only, you know, was like kind of harrowing to see, but also like admirable that they would all join in on this cause. But then also like, I just want to mention this entire episode, super tense. Like I was white knuckling it the entire time, which is again, oh, yeah. totally saying something because we know what happens to Cassian. Like he dies on a beach, you know, but like the fact that this, this journey that they're going on and discovering the sense of rebellion is, I would argue, even more compelling, you know, to what we eventually see. I was just like completely enthralled with what was happening. I was just like, oh my God, what's gonna happen? You know, it's just so, so tense. Yeah, there there's
1: we've talked a lot about kind of the stakes here and how do you how do you create not not like artificial stakes, but like you said, for a character like Cassian who we we know how his story ends, how do you make someone care about a show like this? Yeah. And I think that, you know, you get something it's not necessarily a question of like, oh, it needs to do this and this to make you, you know, still care about it. It, I think it just needs to be like flat out good enough to where you're not thinking that you're not like, well, it doesn't matter because this, you know, I'm so distracted by that, right. that I forget that, you know, that this is that I know how it ends because yeah. what's happening is like vitally important to my understanding of the entire galaxy at this time period. That's mm-hmm. something that's really special to the show, you know?
0: Yeah. And then, you know, also like that's just, that's star Wars. Like we know in a new hope that the death <laughs> star is, you know, Vader's not going to kill Luke and, you know, and that's then, you know, the death star blows up Yavin four. I'm sure people also knew that. Yeah. The, the good guy wins. The evil loses. Like that's, it's a movie, you know? Uh, but also the prequels entirely. Like we know what eventually happens, but it's, it's in the characters that we're on this journey with and seeing them discover these things is, is, you know, that's, that's what's really, really rewarding for me. So, uh, continuing in, in the prison riot here, the prison escape, uh, they have officially taken control of the c- uh, control room, which I just thought was like tonally just completely opposite of the last time that we saw, or no, maybe not the last time, but another key Star Wars moment in regards to like this control room of a prison <laughs> uh, with, with Han and A New Hope, because even like the microphone is kind of similar. I noticed it. Uh, I and, saw yeah. it and I was like, that's the thing. Yeah, and uh, you know, Han's like goofing off and I was like, man, if you need a, one scene that's more of a demonstration on the differences between and or and like a new hope like this one scene is it? A- we're all we're all fine. Everything's fine up here. Uh, how are you? Yeah, cut to Kino and he's like giving this impassioned you know, speech about the truth of this prison and that we're all going to die. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's great. But all that to say that Kino, after yes, some encouragement from Cassian or Cassian's like, dude, is, is that the best that you have? Uh, he delivers a message to the rest of the prisoners telling them the truth that the facility is theirs, uh, and they will not have a better chance to escape. Um, for one, like I mentioned, this speech is super inspiring, just like really, really great stuff. Um, But also there's like a great moment to where Kino tells everybody to like help one another. And that like, if you see someone who is scared or confused, like help them, like he didn't have to do that. Like how nice of him. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing is, hey, I, I, I think that it like it bears mentioning Black Friday is coming up. Okay, it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. If you uh, see a shopper at Target who is scared <laughs> or confused, you help them up? <laughs> well, and even I mean, again, a little bit dour, but there was uh, there was a tragedy in South Korea recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Where 152 people were trampled in right. the streets just because of this panic that it, that like occurred. Yeah, and you get something like this where obviously this is not a real situation, but you could see how something of this nature with the, you know, with the the threat of, of imprisonment, the threat of death, at, you know, at your heels, you're going to b- want to be running as fast as you can over whatever's underneath your feet. And we do get a moment where a couple people are like, have fallen, um, but they're not like, they, they don't stay down, you know? And by the end of it, everyone is sort of together. Um yeah, I I do love his speech though. I I wanted to mention I think it's funny that the uh the microphone has like a modulator on it uh to make it sound yeah. like squid gamey and, and, uh, totally. and deeper. And the guy that's the announcer that's like running the show is like this weaselly kid, like not really a kid, but like,
0: he's like, Hey, he's you guys can't like, be up here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah It's very, uh, very wizard of Oz, uh, you know, yeah. pulling back the curtain and he's just like,
0: uh, totally. I'm just the, I'm just the guy on the PA. Exactly. Yeah. So, and There's a great moment to where, uh, Cassian like shoots the other guy and he's kind of like, you know, you know, what's up, you know, what's business. The other guy's like, I'll let you in. Like he's just immediately (laughs) like, I, this is just a job. (laughs) My uncle works here, told me he could get me a position here. Uh, But yeah, like, I think you're totally right. And not only is there obviously like real world current events that are reminiscent of this time, but I think like, just generally, this just speaks to specifically like helping others. This speaks to this idea of like, You're fighting against this tyranny, and in a sense, you're fighting for the person next to you. You're fighting for this, your fellow citizen of the galaxy to escape from this tyranny. So don't forget that to when you're, you're, you know, rebelling against this. And I think it also speaks to just thematically what's happening in this episode, especially, but also in this series, this idea of what links are you willing to go to personally and otherwise to win over your enemy? Are you going to stab, you know, your ally in the back? Are you going to go out of your way to kill Cassian, even though he helped you in this because he's just some loose end that needs to be tied off? You know, like, I think it is this, you know, a real rallying cry for like, yes, help one another and help. Yes. Fight back, but don't lose sight of what you're fighting for because in a sense it's, yeah, it's the people next to you.
1: Yeah, there, there's a lot there obviously connecting to what we've talked about with Vel and with Luthan yeah. and, and what they're willing to do even later in this episode. I I think that the one thing I found really interesting about Kino's speech is that it's not like all positive, you know? yeah. Um, like some of it's still very much like how far we get if we even get out yeah. is entirely up to you. And, you know, not to, not that he's saying like, we might not even make it. So, you yeah. know, say your prayers, hug your wife and kids, but yeah. there's part of it. That's not just, it's not just that empty, like you can do it and, and you can, you can fight. And if you, as long as you fight as hard as you can fight, you can win. It's not that it's, you know, this is in your hands and we've, you know, we are so close to being back home. We're so close to making it back home, but you, you know, are you willing to, to, to run the rest of the race? Are you willing to, you know, to help each other? Are you willing to protect yourself? Are you willing to, you know, to do these things? Because, you know, this isn't, this isn't just rainbows and, and butterflies. Yeah. It's, you're fighting for your life. Don't yeah. forget that. Well, it's just it's also- one of those things. that, Yeah, you don't come along. You don't come across that very often. You yeah. know? Well,
0: it reminds me of what Jen talks about in in Rogue One before the Battle of Scarif. She says, "If we can make it to the ground, we'll take the next chance and the next and and on and on until we win or the chances are spent." And it is this idea of like some of you are gonna die. Like we're not all gonna make it out of this, but we're gonna continue to take those chances and to take those leaps until we either win or we don't and you know a keynote kind of addresses it pretty you know specifically is like we're gonna die here like do you want to die you know, as Luther would say, like risking it all for something real? Or are you willing to just die under the terms of the Imperials and, and have them win? Like, wouldn't you rather, if you're going to die anyway, kind of go out under your own terms? So yeah, like this episode in particular is just a really great, like, espresso shot of the thesis of this entire series and like this entire season, especially it's just, it's just condensed in a, like the most exciting impacting way. Like it's so good.
1: Yeah. It's there. I I would, I would argue that this is the thesis episode because I mean, it doesn't necessarily answer, um, a lot of the questions that we've had, but it it poses the answer in a way that's that's saying like these are the questions that we've raised as a series and in this world. Mm-hmm. And you know, here are the options. Here's what that looks like. Um but it's not it's not saying that there's a definite answer. I think that that relates more a little bit more to Mon Mothma and Luth and especially yeah. as a thesis thing. And like I had said before, like we've been asking these questions of how far are these people willing to go for certain things and how much are they willing to sacrifice we get some of those ideas of oh that's how far mm-hmm. okay so yeah. what you know what are your values when it yeah. comes to this cause yeah, yeah.
0: And the Imperials, uh, the, the workers of this prison are able to see how far the, these, you know, uh, prisoners are willing to go for their liberation because there's a great moment where we get to see them like all cowering in fear, uh, you know, behind in this enclosed room, just hearing these, uh, prisoners escaping. Um, I thought that that was, uh, just a really great touch. And we see that the prisoners make it to the end of this facility where they like leap into this water swimming to freedom, uh. And before Cassian jumps, Kino says to him that he can't swim. Um, I think that there's a lot here. Uh, so it, it it like it's kind of funny. I will note <laughs> that that Kino gets to this whole moment and he's like, "Oh, I can't swim." But I think it's also like really sad. Uh, really moving uh, and also again to use that word it's really inspiring Uh, I also think that there's some visual language here about like what you know in regards to like literature what we usually see water represent Um, there's so much in this moment in this action and in the fact that Kino is unable to swim that I think really speaks to this episode this act and then also just kind of like what we see like just that's that's light side stuff so I want to kind of get your, your reaction to this moment, uh, to this take, uh, you know, what happens to Kino? What does this mean? Like, what are your first kind of questions or where does your head go immediately? Uh, I, I would say my first
1: thought is, um, I don't think that he's, I don't think that he's dead. Um, I don't think that he like took the leap and, and drowned, right? Because <laughs> yeah. there, there's like a couple different sides to this, that if he is able, let's put it this way, if he's able to take the leap, and yes, I mean that metaphorically and literally, mm-hmm. if he's able to take the leap, then will some of these prisoners help him? I would like to think so, mm-hmm. right? If he is unable to take the leap, is he stuck back in the prison forever? and with that comes its own side of of questions about you know we we had talked about that this is something that he's probably thought of before of of getting out and now that he's now that he's finally literally on the precipice he's on the edge and can't bring himself to do it for one reason or another mm-hmm. then do you you know do you sacrifice those things to to make that choice or do you stay where it's comfortable, And uh, you know? So there's a lot there, but I would say in terms of, at least for me, definite feelings of this scene, I like to think that he jumped and that someone or a couple people helped him. And there's, I, I think especially there's a moment where I was like, okay, they're all jumping and swimming, then what, right? And And from what we see, uh, we see Cassian and um, the other guy, so I can't remember his name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other guy that shows up in Rogue One. Right. Um, they make it to the shore by nightfall. And behind them are some like boats with searchlights. So, in my mind, maybe, you know, people got captured on their way to the shore. Not everybody made it. Um, but I think that the that the more important part is not like, okay, well, what ends up happening? The more important part is what Cassian says right before he jumps is, no matter what happens, we still made it out. And I think that not knowing what happens to Kino uh, post this line is kind of, that's the point. It doesn't matter whether or not he took the leap or if he stayed or if he got recaptured. No matter what happens, he, he finally completed that thing that he was, that he had his mind set on however long ago. And that's all that matters. And so as touching as that is, I'm going to say my headcanon, he jumped, other people helped him. That's it.
0: Yeah. I, I think the alternative to that is like, okay, he, like you said, he stayed he was re-arrested and then spent the rest of his days in prison or more likely was killed. I don't think that that's the case. I don't think Kino would let that happen. I think he definitely jumped. And I think you're exactly right that it's very encompassing in the themes and what this series kind of stands for that others would help him. Uh, and they would, you know, take him by the arm or whatever and help him to shore. Granted, it seems like it's a long way. So, you know, like looks difficult for sure. But I think he, he is a leader that people look up to, um, that he tried to have others' best interests and at heart. Also somebody that if you know, it wasn't for him. They wouldn't have gotten out of this place, you know? Uh, so yeah, I think that one, he definitely leapt uh, and and others definitely uh, helped him. But I think you're exactly right. I totally agree that it also doesn't super, super matter. Not that it doesn't matter, like it's irrelevant, but it's not the focus. Like the focus is that he did this. Like he got to this point, overcame his own fear and overcame that, overwhelming sense of like, we're going to lose, like why even try when I could just keep my head down and, you know, finish out the, the rest of the sentence. But I think for me, I love the idea that he, like, he's been on this prison for a while and I just, my headcanon is that he knows it's surrounded by water. Like he knows that when he escapes this place, he's going to have to swim or take a boat or something like that. And so I think that he knows what eventually comes to him, but that's not really what's important. What's important is that he was able to make others, you know, escape and, and other and help others to escape and i think it's going back to what i was saying earlier and what i alluded to earlier is that he is fighting maybe not for his own self-interest but for others around him and these other people in the situation who yeah do know how to swim and will make it to shore okay i think it is really indicative of his character but also has huge parallels with what we see Cassian in his eventual sacrifice on Scarif is that Cassian is fighting for a better galaxy, for a better tomorrow. Does he get to see that and enjoy the freedom that eventually will befall the galaxy? No, but that's not the point. You know, like the point is that one day there will be somebody who will be born not under the reign of tyranny and, and under the reign of the empire, that they will be born into freedom. And you know, to me there's there's real-world application to that. But I think that within the story there's you know, some great foreshadowing. But beyond that, just like, yeah, these are the people that Cassian looks to And eventually help pave the way for his own sense of rebellion and his own willingness to sacrifice himself on Scarif. Because casting at the beginning of this season isn't the same person that would knowingly and willingly sacrifice their lives on Scarif. And I think that that's really the journey that we see him go through, uh, at least throughout this first season.
1: Yeah. And, and there is obviously a conversation uh, a little bit later in this episode that we'll get to of that idea of watching the sunrise on a galaxy that, you know, that you won't be able to see. Right. Right. And that, again, this is the thesis episode. This is in in case you, in case you missed what this show is, is setting up in case you weren't there. Um, So Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd say it's pretty, pretty clear.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely made uh, clear. It's uh, it's good stuff, man. Really, really into it. Uh, Uh, But the prison escape is not the only thing that we see um, in this episode, uh, because we also are reunited back uh, on the imperial side of things uh, to where they are continuing to pursue Axis and this rebel leader Krieger. Um, Supervisor Young and the others plot how they continue or can continue selling this lie in this plot. Um, we also go back to Ferrix, uh, the planet still under imperial occupation. Marva still being monitored uh, by Senta, uh, but also refusing to take her medicine. We also see an ISB agent kind of undercover monitoring Marva. So we're definitely going to have some sort of shakeup there in the coming uh, weeks, where Cassian's going to return home, and obviously things are all going to come to a head. Um, but before that, we go back to Coruscant, uh, where Mon Mothma meets with Davo. Uh, the banker slash thug that uh, she calls him to be uh, to help kind of launder the funds of this operation. Um, he says that Mothma in order to kind of get his services, she needs to sacrifice something and it's sort of a favor. She's like, ah, I'm pretty reluctant to do that. I'll, I can give you money if that's what you want. And he's, he he kind of is more interested in a favor uh, and for his services, Noah essentially what he asks is that his son who is around the same age as Monmouthma's daughter uh he asks for her daughter to marry his son who's like 13 um he Davo reveals to be friends uh, with Mon Mothma's husband, uh, which checks out because they both suck. <laughs> They're both <laughs> super yucko. Um, and uh, this this moment as well, too, I think, kind of builds to uh, the thesis of this episode. But what did you think about this this meeting between Davo and Mon Mothma?
1: Well, when she was like, when she was like, "Oh, that that guy's a thug. I don't want to deal with that guy. He's he's the worst." I was thinking like. Is he, like, a pirate? Is he, like, you know, kind of this skeevy guy, like a Hondo-esque character? Yeah. And dude waltzes in and says, privacy. And I was like, this guy is not a thug. This guy just said privacy. (laughs) Who says that? And then he is like, so... I've got a son, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, what a thug! This guy's the worst." <laughs> so, uh, I just think it's really funny, though. the The stuff with Mon Mothma, especially, and and the the circle that she's in, is really reminiscent to me of the you know the the simpler times in, in Star Wars, where things were like, "What kind of weird world is this? That things are so like." like you're watching the recap of the episode at the beginning of the beginning of each episode, you watch the recap and it's like, it's like the recapping an episode of the crown or, or (laughs) something like that. Yeah. And it's so like drama heavy. Mm -hmm. And this scene in particular is something that kind of falls into that, that same line. However, I will say, um, I had a really interesting sort of, I don't know if it's like a full revelation, mm-hmm. um, but there's like an idea here where we're talking about sort of the the overall themes of this show. And I think there is a massive list of the things that we've covered that are like, okay, what is this show saying about this? Yeah. And we've talked a little bit about like Mon Mothma's like, Shandrillon customs and the way that tradition is, is perceived. Yeah. And this proposal of a literal proposal, um, is something that she is absolutely like in is so defensive of. She's does not want this to happen in a way that's, it's really interesting because they talk a little bit about the old Shandrillon customs and how, The modern age doesn't really understand that sort of thing Mm -hmm. where, you know, we've looked a lot at indigenous cultures and we've looked a lot at the immigration side of things in this show and how, you know, and how it's important to hold on to these things and, and cherish these, uh, these traditional things versus some, you know, an industrial changing of the, of the lens where now we're looking at the complete opposite, where Mon Mothma is like, no, these are things we need to get away from. This is something I'm not okay with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are you willing to to go back to these customs? Are you willing to indulge in these things that you know are wrong, uh, things that were done and were accepted a long time ago, and say, will you stoop to that, that level of, of saying, like, okay, fine? So it's really, really interesting. I don't have like a, a fully formed idea of what this is saying yet, but I do think that it's curious that that's sort of the, the trajectory that we're going with, you know?
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting and it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting point to be brought up because we talked about, um, back on Aldani, there were obviously the, the, You know, the indigenous population there had their own customs that were being, you know, uh, discarded by the empire or, you know, in a different sense, like appropriated by the empire because the empire was like, no, we want to see this natural phenomenon. You guys, by the way, have to go over there. (laughs) And (laughs) this land that you guys might have, you know, had the ceremonial ground on, that's now a targeting practice for us, you know, stuff like that. So I think that there is definitely this conversation being had, but I think it's important, the distinction between this, between that and the Chandrillan, you know, uh, customs that Mon Mothma is not okay with, because it's not just this, like she also was, had had grown a distaste for the the drink that we saw her have earlier, where you like put this worm in it and it dissolves and you sip on that for some reason. Um, but this idea of, Mon Mothma dislikes this practice because presumably it was the same thing that happened to her. Like presumably, you know, and it's even mentioned like, that's how she met her husband. Like they were wed as a result of a tradition like this. He obviously sucks. Uh, she's obviously not happy with this arrangement now, but is kind of stuck in this. So I think that there is this distinction that's worth noting that like she is rejecting of her own tradition, Um, And it's not like a third party coming in and saying like, oh yeah, you can keep these traditions, not these other ones. It's because of her own experiences that she is, you know, moving on from these, these Chandrillan customs. Uh, And uh, yeah, I think that that's like. We talk about a lot of like the real world applications of that is that there are people who grow up in the church, for example, and then once they get older, they're kind of like, you know what, I don't think that this really represents me as a person anymore or this, you know, doesn't align with my ideals or what I've learned to be true about the world. So they kind of distance themselves from that custom rather than the government or something coming in <laughs> and saying, you can't be Catholic anymore. You know, like there, I think that there definitely is a distinction between the two of those personally.
1: Yeah. there. The, I think that's a, a really great example because, you know, you look at these things and you kind of wonder, okay, well, what would, you know, what kind of, themes would we see from a senator who is wealthy and upper class and you know that sort of thing so i think that there's there's a lot to be said there um but yeah and i I think on the side of uh the side of this guy this this thug i guess this like british upstanding thug um yeah it's it's interesting that he's friends with her husband because you look at this guy and you're like, oh, he's also the worst. Um, but I don't think that it's just portraying this this as like men are, are gross and and weird and dumb and bad. Um, it's not, not, it's th- true, though. Yeah. <laughs> it is true, yes. But I don't think it's that surface level. Sure. I think that's a better way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the, the further reaching idea is that her husband is is so stuck in kind of the old ways still and is not willing to be forward thinking as well as maybe this guy is like yeah well it's not all you know it's not all sunshine and roses you got to got to do what you got to do i think he has a really good line where he says a, a drop of discomfort is the price for my services or something like that where it's like you know he's aware he's aware of this and and aware of of how that's not really yeah. a uh, not really an accepted thing at you know right about now but he's able to use that as leverage you know it's yeah kind of it, it's scummy in the way that we don't typically see scum in Star Wars you know
0: totally and but it all builds to again like we we talked about that this episode is like the you know condensed espresso shot of the thesis of the show. And I think that this moment, like this scene in particular is, is pretty much all you need to know about Andor, like really in one scene is that Mon Mothma needs to, it needs to acquire this certain thing or needs to now go through avenues that she wouldn't otherwise be going to, but she is navigating those said avenues because she believes in this cause so that now that she is in the midst of this kind of new area or this area that would maybe be foreign to her uh, or this dangerous potentially corrupting now area she now has to ask herself of what is she willing to do personally morally you know in order to achieve her overall goal she needs this money to be you know like needs more I'm I, i I'm kind of unclear on what exactly Davos services are specifically I just know he's kind of like helping with the um with the foundation I don't know if he's like laundering the money or if he's like the Star Wars equivalent of like a Swiss bank account or if they just need more money. (laughs) Not quite sure. Uh, Sure. I don't know if you can shed some light on this, but regardless, Mon Mothman needs Davos services and he asks for this thing that is against her own morals, against her own values because of her personal experience and otherwise. And because of that, she now kind of has to weigh those choices against her sense of duty towards the rebellion. And I think that that's something that we see Luthan going through in this series, this episode in particular, something that we see, um, you know, Cassian going through with this with Saw He's going to be going through this. If he's going to be in the rest of the series, we don't really know. Uh, But again, it's kind of the central question of everybody and every thing in this series. It's all kind of pointing to this thematic nucleus of, what links are you willing to go to to achieve your own goals of rebellion, and what also defines rebellion for everybody? yeah, i I, I think the scene is is really applicable to that idea, yeah. And that's not
1: even the most interesting thing that that this guy is is asking this sort of, you know, how dare he even ask that favor? That's mm-hmm. not like the worst thing about it. The like you said, She's. She has to decide if that's actually worth the cause, yeah. because when when she says I'm not even thinking about it, he goes, "That's the most untrue thing that you've said," right? Um, and the fact that the fact that he's right. Let's just say, for sake of argument, he's right. That she has to consider that option. Yeah. Of you know of what am I going to do? And this being her her one way out you know, of this is the only way that this is going to happen. Yeah, that's the hard part. That that's what make that makes this interesting. It wouldn't be as interesting if she was like, oh, what a what a gross and horrible idea that you have just proposed to me. I'd never in a thousand years will find a different way. And then they do, right? Totally. It doesn't matter, right? It matters that she has to, she might have to go through with it or else she can't continue to contribute to this cause. She can't continue to fund things. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's looking a little bit dicey for Mon Mothma. And I'm, I'm excited to see how she continues to handle this and dive a little bit deeper into the, you know, sacrificing things for the rebellion. But I'll just say this. Um, her daughter's not particularly nice. So, uh, (laughs) Go ahead. Do it. Yeah. I maybe the care.
0: son's great. And he meets her and he's like, oh "God, this lady sucks. <laughs> like, dad, this is who you <laughs> picked for me. Yeah. Uh, her daughter also is uh, not, the, not, not the best. But you were talking about the, like, is this her only option? At this point in time, she sees this as her only option. But I think Mon Mothma as a character in the series is supposed to serve as the ideal of somebody who is steadfast in their objective and their morals too, that they are not willing to, you know, sway in either regards. They're not going to, you know, uh, see their, their pursuit of liberation, this, this rebellion, they're not going to give up on that, but they're also not going to sacrifice what they deem to be right and wrong in order to achieve that. Whereas somebody like Luthen kind of in a gray area. And then Saw Gerrera is like, fuck it. I'll kill, I'll kill anybody. I don't care, man, yeah. women, children, it doesn't matter. You know, like, I think that Mon Mothma is kind of the, the gold standard in that sense. So yeah, I, I think that that's what we're Supposed to see with her, and that it also reminds me of you know we've talked about not to sound like a broken record, but Rose Tico in the Last Jedi, you know fighting what you hate, saving what you love. It's kind of that thing. Like I'm not going to sacrifice my daughter for this bigger cause. Like obviously not. You know that's not even a question. So yeah, I I don't think it's I I think it's meant to seem like you know there is only one way out, but maybe there's another way out. You know maybe we can we can you know, find uh, a different avenue and I don't have to wed off my 13 daughter, the 13 year old daughter, which he says like, oh, she'll be a a woman soon enough. It's just like super gross, like super grody and just like real (laughs) groomy and yucko. Like, uh, like the fact that her husband is friends with this guy, like just continues to prove that Perrin is the absolute worst. Like this guy is scum of the earth that these are his friends. Absolutely. The guy sucks. (laughs) The guy sucks. I will not be buying his Funko Pop. Not at all. Um, Can he
1: like die? Is that like, can we like, is that going to happen in this show? I hope so. I don't know. I don't if not in this season. I hope know. so. Yeah.
0: If my my years of being a slasher fan have proven to me it's that the douchebag boyfriends never make it, you know. So That's true. So uh hopefully, hopefully. They're um, usually the second to go. Yeah, the second, third. That's yeah, They're not no, no final girl has been the douchebag boyfriend. I'll say that much. Um yep. back with Luther, uh Clea informs him that someone has sing, uh, signaled out and that they wish to meet in person. Uh we learned that that person is ISB supervisor Young who is working as an informant uh, I thought this was a really great twist I had no idea I was like oh what it's this guy like who had no uh, who knew um, not only that but no they meet in the lower levels of Coruscant which is like an awesome thing to say out loud that we also get in this jam-packed awesome episode it's like oh we get to see the lower levels of Coruscant in live action like amazing and then yeah. they also have this really insightful great scene together it's really tense to where this guy is in an elevator and Luthen's in his earpiece like loki like threatening him and like sending these you know really shady kind of messages towards him uh and they 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 have this conversation to where young tells Luthen about this eventual trap on Spellhouse. house is like thanks for letting me know I'll take it from here. It's fine that 50 men are going to die. Not a big deal. Young is like, might want to do some soul searching, pal. By the way, (laughs) I want to leave the ISB uh, because I'm a dad now. I can't really do this. Luthen kind of responds and being like, that's hilarious. Not going to happen. I and the rebellion is not going to let that happen. And then also the Empire is not going to let that happen. You are too valuable to the both of us Uh, to which Young asks him what he sacrificed. And Luthen has this really insightful monologue. But before we get to this, I just want to get your reaction to this scene before we break down this monologue um it's
1: super scary it's like out of not out of place but it just like kind of hits you out of nowhere he's in this dingy elevator and it's like the the whole thing's rattling it feels like a saw trap it's (laughs) claustrophobic and it's it is like honestly it's like it's threatening it feels very tense um i will say though double agents in star wars i mean come on that's so good. That's yeah, so good. It's the best. I mean, it's not often that we get that. Uh, the only other one that I can think of is uh, Fulcrum in Rebels. Yeah. Uh, that, that being the only other double agent that comes to mind. Commander honestly. Sideburns, you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, there will never be a better Ginger Sideburn guy. <laughs> um, yeah. Or Mutton Chops. I don't know. Are they Mutton Chops or are they
0: Sideburns? Well, we did have that uh, Sergeant from earlier... Uh, in this season. Uh, oh the, yeah, I guess that's that. Technically, yeah. yeah. Played by but, the 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 Batman guy. Uh, I don't remember what the the constable whatever his name was, but he had some he had some killer sideburns for sure.
1: Yes. Um. Anyways. Uh. Yeah. Really, really good stuff that kind of comes out of nowhere. Um. But still fits in. And when we see Luthen, it's like visually very intimidating. I thought that this whole time. I thought the whole scene. That he, that this guy was gonna get shot, uh, and that his kid was gonna be dadless. Um Dang. because as I this you said, com- his, I thought you
0: were gonna say that his kid shot him.
1: <laughs> no, no. I was like, I wasn't <laughs> thinking that at all. That would've been crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Twists left and right. Um, no, I I I think in this scene, like, Luther is sort of showing his hand in a way of like, like I said, sort of answering that question of like this dude's motives are not awesome. Like you said, he's like 50 men are going to die if yeah. they do this. And Luthen straight up like texts back the shrug emoji. <laughs> and he's yeah. just like, oh, well, you know. Yeah. Um.
0: Well, but, he kind of sees them as like, you know, like pawns in a chess game. Is like, is yeah, it the queen? Is it my knight? Sacrifice. Is it my rook? I don't care. It's a pawn. You know, like that's what they're, it's collateral damage. It's, you know, it's literal cannon fodder. It's, yeah. Yeah which is interesting
1: because they're not his men to kill off, you know. Yeah. Um but he's willing to he's willing to keep that information from them if it means, you know, playing the long game. And so we've seen this before of him sort of tying off loose ends with being okay with letting Cassian die or even having him killed, but this in and of itself is closer to that Sa Guerrera line of I'm okay with letting these men die if it's for the sake of this. And I, I do think it's interesting that we don't get more saw in this episode, especially because he is in the recap. So I was like, Oh, pff, I've seen enough CW shows to know that a recap with a character we haven't seen yeah. means that that character is coming straight back in this episode." That's uh, why you were so tense. Not. You were
0: just clenching for saw guys. Yeah, <laughs> like, where's he at? Where's he at? He's gonna
1: drop down from the, the from the ceiling of the elevator and just absolutely murder this guy. But no. Um, it's almost scarier how how we leave this scene that he tells him, like, yeah, good luck with that pal. You're not getting out. And then he just lets him go. Yeah. And the whole time, uh the whole time Supervisor Young's like approach to this is he's like do you understand how this feels knowing that there's not only a target on my back, but also that I'm being watched all the time. This sucks and I hate it. Please let me leave. And Luthan's like, sorry, man, just a little bit longer. See ya. Yeah. It's scary. It's, I think that this is finally the, uh, the truest side of Luther And it's interesting because he's like, look at you leading a double life. It must be so hard. Supervisor young. You must be, you must be so exhausted. <laughs> Meanwhile, he like
0: <laughs> takes off his wig going to this meeting and changing to all black robes. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. This is like, this is
1: Luther's truest self and yeah. it's scary. It is.
0: Yeah. And I I think it really is this sort of thematic yin to the yang of the Mon Mothma scene is that Luthan is now at this point to where he has completely abandoned anything that would resemble some sort of moral code in order to achieve this goal. This guy isn't, you know, some you know, corrupt officer that Luthen can kind of contort his mind and say, Oh, it was okay. He, he died. You know, he's a bad guy. It's okay. No, this is a guy that's like, I want to be a dad. I want to be there for my child and I can't keep doing this. And Luthen's like, no, that's, that's fine. No, you're still going to be on my payroll. And you know, the, I guess the conventional wisdom would say that like, let's say that this guy quits the ISB anyway, you know, like he doesn't listen to Luthen and he does leave, we would probably think that luther would threaten him with like you know the same thing that he was going to do to cassian is like you are a threat you are uh, you know this this open ended sort of uh, loose end that i have to tie off now so either one he's going to kill him or two he's going to inform the empire by some way that this guy was an informant you know so yeah it's it's really dark uh, it's really really dark but the young asks him in return, what Luthen has sacrificed, uh, to which Luthen gives this, this whole monologue. So let me ask you, I've got the monologue pasted here in my notes. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you want me to read this and we can go line by line, or do you just want to talk about maybe some, some, uh, highlights for you or key moments? Is there anything here? Like I can read the whole thing. I'm fine with doing it. So what do you, what would you like to do? Well,
1: because I can tell that you want to read the whole thing, and also because I would like to hear the whole thing, I say, let's read the whole thing. Yeah. We can talk about it as a whole, um, because there are a couple standouts, but, um... Let's let's just go through it and get general thoughts. You know.
0: Yeah, I will. I will not be uh, reading this with any great gravitas or cadence. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't possibly deliver this as as, as exceptionally as uh, Skarsgård did here. Uh, but uh, Luther replies. Uh, he says, "What have I sacrificed? Calm." Uh, kindness, kinship, love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I've made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. Let's stop there and talk about uh, that. So the I've made my mind a sunless space, I think is a really interesting way of of essentially admitting that you you've mentioned before like in this episode that it's not sunshine and rainbows and that he has admittedly cut some of those things off or removed this that moral compass that he's had of no I am in a dark place and the only way I'm going to get out of this is to climb over others or the only way that I'm able to achieve my goal is to climb over others and achieve my goal in the goals of others. Those ghosts that he's talking about, I would assume, are people that were like minded like him, were also united in this fight, who had this dream of rebellion, AKA or IE, someone like Nimic, you know, who's now dead, who sacrificed themselves for this ideal, uh, meaning, you know, that's who he shares his dreams with those ghosts.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot there. That line, especially was, I was like, whoa, like (laughs) if I'm, if I'm thinking of this as like, this is just off the top of this guy's dome, you know, where he's like, he hasn't rehearsed this. This isn't a show, obviously, where he's like, this is how I feel. Um, I, I'm so intrigued at the idea that somebody wanted to make a story of the beginning of rebellion and in all honesty it doesn't begin with hope it begins with like the darkest choices and yeah. it begins with the fear of failure and that's a weird revelation and i'm i i'm so curious to find out where it sort of has that turn when we eventually see leia be the figurehead and be the embodiment of hope but for now things are bad and you know and they they're not going to get better um, but that's sort of the way it has to be. They're only going to get worse before they get better. It's really, really scary. You know, yeah,
0: I, I think there is a bit of hope to this that we'll get to towards the end of it. Um, but as of right now, I think his lack of hope or the, like the lack of hope that you're picking up on is his ability To see any other avenues or any other choices rather than these dark choices that he has. And I think that he knows that it's building to something because he says, I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight. They've set me on a path from which there is no escape. Uh, I yearned to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost. And by the time I looked down, there was no longer any ground beneath my feet. So yeah, like that right there, not only uh, is Luther Rails character, like, <laughs> that, <laughs> like if you had to describe him on the back of his black series box, you know, like that's literally it. But also it's kind of the main question of what this series is going to be dealing with is that, you know, all of these characters are unwilling to yield to this oppression in some form, and they are all eager to fight and they're all set on this path and it's the choices that they're going to make along the way, uh, and being these saviors against injustice is that it's going to come at a cost. And what are you going to do when it comes time to pay? Are you going to sacrifice some of your morals and your, your ideals, or are you like Lutheran here, uh, here going to go down this path? And then by the time you stop and look around, you don't even recognize who you are anymore.
1: Yeah. There's again, trying to connect something like this to, what we see in a real world context is I don't think that this is, I don't think that this is an idea of, you know, losing sight of what you're fighting for. I don't think that's it at all. Um, I think that there, that the, the hope is clearly, you know, the hope for things to be better is, is not what's gone Um, because he's devoted himself fully to this thing to the point that it's just, you know fighting until the fight is over and you know what do we what do we lose along the way i think that's the that's the question that is now brought up for everyone uh in this fight sort of the the question of like the first half of this of this show was you know everyone has their own version of rebellion what's yours and i think at this at this point we're leaning more into the you know, by the time we get to the end of this, what do you have left? And here for Luthen, it's not a lot. I'll I'll say that much. Yeah, He's obviously still got fight in him, but once he's on the other side, he's not going to have a lot left of himself. You know, it's, yeah. it's interesting.
0: Well, I think you had mentioned of like this question of like, you didn't think that he's lost sight of what he's fighting for. And I agree, but I also disagree. Like, I agree that his the idea of what he's fighting for being I'm, I'm opposing the empire. I'm opposing tyranny. Like that's still at the forefront of his mind. Yeah. But in like in in that pursuit of that, he, you know, if he's fighting for this so-called, Uh, Well, we can talk about it. So he says, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to uh, to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. No, the ego that started this fight will never have a mirror or an audience or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything. So like what I was saying is. I don't think that he's lost this sense of like what he's fighting for as far as the goal. The goal still is this sunrise that he knows that he'll never see, but he's also removing the ability for others to see that sunrise. Like this team of 50 that he's just like throwing to the chopping block to get killed. Cassian that he saw as a liability that he's also just willing to get killed. He's also removing their ability to see the sunrise too. And so, In a sense, he is losing sight of what he's fighting for because he's fighting for freedom for the galaxy. But he's also just willingly and openly killing other people in the galaxy, people that he at one time would consider allies. Mm -hmm.
1: There's there's almost a a question of like without that, let's say remove that point of it where, you know, you keep a little bit of a little bit of the decency and you don't throw other people under the bus right for the for the sake of of you know you are going to be useful to the rebellion and then that's it i think that this is the most like humble form of of rebellion in the sense that he is so like he's so close to the to the ideal sense of rebellion that he's like overshot the line and is now on the opposite side of the coin of you're right. This is everything that he has sacrificed in the sense of he'll never, like he says, the ego that started this fight will never have a mirror or an audience or the light of gratitude. Yeah. He's not doing this for the gratitude. He's not doing it for, you know, the self preservation or the glorification. Like someone that we see Cassian sort of start out as, is he'll do it for the money or yeah. for, you know, for the self preservation or whatever. Right. So he, Luthen, is like overshot the purest form of rebellion for doing something and sacrificing everything for no gratitude and no recognition. He's overshot it by a mile and has gone to the point of caring so little about how he comes out on the end that he's thrown away his morals, which is interesting because it makes you think, well, okay, how close can you get to that line before you've crossed it entirely? And now you're Like he says, using the, you know, the tools of the enemy to defeat them, the, you know, the, the, the disregard for life and the willingness to, to cross that line using those, those tools. Now, where is that line? You know, is it easy to cross Are we going to see Mon Mothma sort of press up against that line or someone like Vel press up against that line? Yeah. And what does that look like? How, how, you know, how soon do you go too far is a really interesting question that it's like, yeah, we know about rebellion, but really like, what's the spectrum? Where are we at on this, you know?
0: Yeah. And you know what it makes me think of is Tales of the Jedi. Like this was something that we saw with Dooku. (laughs) Like he literally, he literally in the second episode, he's talking to that security officer and he straight up tells him like, I agree with your, you know, your methodology or your, you know, your, your mission or like the goal of this, but the way that you went about it, I don't like agree with, like, I, I, that's bad <laughs> to kill people. <laughs> but then what do we eventually see him do? He becomes a Sith Lord killing Yaddle, you know? So it's that, it's that idea of the corruption of your soul. Like, yeah, Dooku still believes that the Jedi are corrupt and things need to change, but how he goes about navigating that is wrong, you know? And like, yeah, it's, 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 it's something that we see a lot, a lot through Star Wars of people kind of losing their, their own, their, their way, uh, you know, being, being swept up by their own passion. That was something obviously with Anakin, you know, Kylo too, which is kind of like a big dark side thing. Uh, and Luthan, yeah, at this point he's so fascinating. Like he's not doing this in an evil or a malicious way. Like he knows what he's doing is, wrong and bad and and harmful but he sees it as a necessary conclusion to get to where he wants to be like it's 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 complex in a way that is not necessarily missing from star wars i think star wars has really complex characters but it's a level of grayness and nuance that i just find like really mature and and really adult, like a character like Luthen and rail, this idea of like mature storytelling in star Wars, my mind goes to someone like him rather than, oh, I want to see Anakin just slaughter a bunch of, you know, children. <laughs> like to me, that's not m- mature star Wars. Like to me, characters like this, who are going through these, these really complex ideas and this real emotional roller coaster in this fighting for their own soul like that to me i find really compelling well and
1: to make it even more complex
0: um this encounter uh between
1: uh between supervisor young and Luthen ends with Luthen saying the rebellion needs all the heroes it can get yeah uh <laughs> are you including yourself in there buddy uh, i don't think he does i don't think he does right yeah, yeah that that's that's the thing that is It's not like it's a mystery, you know, because clearly he's not, he's not the hero. And he even says so with, uh, in in regards to Eldani and saying like, no, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a part of that. I mean, you know, I kind of was, but I wasn't. And he's not getting the recognition for putting together this team of heroes. He doesn't want the recognition because Again, he knows full well that he's willing to clean up those loose ends however he needs to, and he's, you know, hiring out, essentially, these people to act heroic uh, on his behalf when he maybe feels like he's the one that's required to make these tougher calls because he's too far gone maybe i don't know so it's it's an interesting perspective to to look at a character like Luthen from the outside and see that and be like wow that's really complex but how does Luthen see the other people that he's getting involved in this he sees them as doing you know doing the good thing and he sees himself as being you know unable to be on the inside of that having to stay on the side of making those tough calls and being sort of the bad guy, you know, air quotes around that. But I don't know. It's so curious.
0: Like, I think, I think Luthan definitely appreciates someone like Amon Mothma. And I think for one, I don't think he's going to make it very long, but for two, like if he was to live to a point to where there is a symbol and a figure like leia or like luke even to where they are somebody that the galaxy looks up to and aspires to be like and sees as a hero i think he would understand the value and appreciate the value in that but he has the self-awareness to know that that's not him and those people wouldn't be able to in his mind get as far as they you know That the success that they eventually achieve that the ground level of that wouldn't be, you know, completely unscathed or wouldn't be without its own bloodshed and its own blood loss like that he is a necessary evil to eventually get to that point to where, when he says like the episode ends and it cuts to Cassian great cut, by the way, he says like the the rebellion needs heroes cut to Cassian, you know, obviously the hero in question, but I think that he is admitting of like, yeah, it's not me. Like I'm here. I'm helping. I'm on the same team as you, but you and I are not the same. Like he's getting his hands dirty for this. And there is this sense of, tension because when, when he's talking to, to young here, I think that he's also kind of like, I just killed 50 of these soldiers that are on my side. And you don't think that you're, you know, (laughs) escape from this, (laughs) like you're in the same sort of club. And I, yeah, I, I think that's very intentional that he's communicating that here is that young also doesn't mean very much to him other than what he can provide, which ironically is also the same thing that's happening in the prison, is that like, oh, you're dead? Okay. Or or you just had a stroke? Yeah, you're of no use to us. This doctor that is tasked with, quote unquote, helping people, yeah, he's just euthanizing people on the spot because... Once you aren't a worker, the empire has no use for you. Your your productivity and the utility that you have for the, uh, the uh, for the empire is gone now. And I think Luthen sees it as the same thing. You're a liability. You're not useful to me anymore. You're gone. Yeah, it's just oh, I, I I'm curious to know. I,
1: I do agree with you. I don't think that Luthan's going to be sticking around for oh, a while. No, he's
0: done. <laughs> um, he's totally going to die. that's the thing is I
1: want to see if this is something that is obviously it'll be somewhat poetic. Yeah. Um, but if it's something that's deserved, I guess is, I don't know if that's even the right word, mm-hmm. but something that that is fitting for his character because part of me says like this dude is fully expecting to die. Um I don't think that the sunrise that he'll never see is a question of being blind to it um, or not being able to partake or enjoy it because of the things that he's done. Um, I think that he's saying that he's willing to lay down everything and is fully prepared to do so, um, it, you know, in service of what the rebellion can achieve. So I'm wondering if there's going to be sort of that gratifying conclusion for him of you know knowing that he is prepared to not i haven't received that
0: i have a i have a hypothesis go with me here hit me so we had talked about our friend kino like did he make this this jump into the water you and i both came to this conclusion of like no he rallied behind others, he encouraged other people to help him, and he knew the power of unification and teamwork and wasn't like, push anyone down, get out by any means necessary. You know, like he was like, if you see somebody who's scared and a run run. egg, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, no, help each other, help pick each other up. What would Luthen do? He would like, <laughs> it would be Black Friday, like you had talked about. He would be knocking fools over to get that yeah. flat screen TV. Which I think would eventually get him to that point to where if he made that jump into the water, made that sacrifice, Kino too knows that he isn't going to be able to see the so-called sunrise. Uh, you know, Luther thinks that he will eventually die because of his cause, as he had mentioned earlier in the season, like laying it all down for something real. I think Kino understands that once he gets to this point, that his ability to escape this is not as important as the people next to him. But that so-called sunrise, that liberation is still worth the pursuit. It's not a selfish thing. It's a selfless thing. <laughs> But I think Luthen is doing the opposite to where he's climbing over everybody. He sees everybody as a liability and and completely collateral damage for this overall cause, which is going to lead him to the point to where he jumps into this water, doesn't know how to swim, and nobody's going to help him because he's alone. Like He doesn't have any allies. He's burned all of those bridges. So I think what we're eventually going to see is that Luthen's going to get to a spot to where... Maybe he needs help or at minimum like could have help, but you know rejected thats even you know the slight slightest bit of help because of it's a liability and it's a danger or whatever and because of that it's yeah probably gonna get him killed
1: and he will in fact be the rotten egg at the end of the day.
0: And that's that on that. And that is that on that. Well, that about does it for episode 10. Do you have any final thoughts or anything that you're looking forward to in the final two episodes of this series uh, or the season? Uh, season one is coming to a close. Noah, it's very sad. Uh, only thing I want is uh more
1: Cyril. We missed him this episode. I know. The, uh, It was slipped right by, so uh, let's get back to that. I'm interested. We'll
0: be definitely getting some more Cyril. I want to see what's in his box. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And some more uh, Deidre Miro as well, Uh, no doubt going to be uh, reuniting on Ferex. There's definitely going to be a a collision there. I hope he gets more uh, flashback stuff. I would like to see um, some things uh, in regards to that, maybe some cassian as a kid maybe we're saving that for season two um maybe whatever his the case sister,
1: is who knows yeah
0: i think that's definitely a season two thing because it's yeah. not been mentioned literally at all so uh, uh well other than uh, other than that one time where or <laughs> uh, uh marvel was like hey stop looking for your sister wink wink you know um yeah. so we'll definitely be getting some more of that um but until then noah do you want to go to wrap it up and take us home for sure thank
1: you guys so much for tuning in with us we hope you learned something today if there's any topics or bits of news you think we should cover you can head over to our twitter and shoot us a message at scumvillainpod but for now this has been scum and villainy with Noah DeGeorge and Garrett
0: McTotter
1: and may the force be with you we'll see you next time
0: see you guys